Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Are you having a stroke? No, I'm acting. No, Kenyon. <laughs> oh. I just wanted to... I always assume it's me. <laughs> it's just, is something no, wrong I'm with acting. you? <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> That's always me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every and you don't time. have to ask. You do not have to ask what that smell is. Mm. It's a fart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a burp. Or a Girl queef. likes her burps. Yeah. Girl does like her burps. I'm Kenyon. <laughs> I'm Lucy. <laughs> I'm Amanda, and I have a backup bathrobe in case I feel like not wearing this shirt anymore. I am wearing a bathrobe for all of you. Asking, wondering, I'm in a bathrobe. I am in the midst still of the world's never-ending move. We also, we now I in- feel like, have just collectively reached the end of our rope. <laughs> in we- general. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. There's definitely been a switch to no fucks yep. given. Mm-hmm. Yep. Th- and I like it. Literally July today. July 1st. Today. To my beautiful best friends, I was like, I really do not understand why life has just felt like jogging through a vat of jello for the last six (laughs) weeks. And then I was like, oh, wait, depression. (laughs) Got it. That's the definition of it. Right. And a lot of people are in the same boat right now. Like responding to an email Mm -hmm. feels like climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Getting up before noon. Oh, no. The amount Fuck of that. people that I have lied to to be like, yeah, I'm just like slammed with meetings in the mornings. <laughs> so if you we don't just schedule like, morning meetings. No. Call me after 2 p.m. My morning meeting is like taking a shit and being on Instagram for 45 minutes. Yeah. That's my morning meeting. Best morning. Fiends is my morning meeting. Yeah. And oh, my afternoon meeting even. and my before bed meeting mm-hmm. with, a, with several Animal Crossing meetings in between. It's a yeah. really rigorous schedule. <laughs> yep. All right. So on that That's note. That's where we're at. Mental health check-in. It's going great. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. We have a very special fan pick. You don't say. Uh, brought to you by Courtney Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer, mm. possibly. Clearly, <laughs> this is Michelle's niece, daughter, mm-hmm. neither, neither, or both. Pseudonym. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Michelle Courtney Pfeiffer. And um, also our sixth grade science teacher and homeroom teacher. Oh, that's right. I didn't have her for homeroom, but I remember now that she was a person. Mm-hmm. Is a person, I'm assuming, still. She was kind of great, yeah. kind of mean and a badass and really loved Tab. Oh, the soda. No recollection. The soda, the pop, yeah. Okay, Tabs. so our... Tabs. She really loved tabs. You just melt on your tongue. If I were a middle school teacher, I would want to be blasted on LSD every day, too. That is like being a middle school educator is a hell I could not bear. And that's like what Zach did with his career for so long. 
That's still his career. I can't. Insanity. Middle school. He loves it. Ooh. I don't know. I don't understand it. Nope. Okay. He's having a stroke. <laughs> a lifelong one. Yes. <laughs> a stroke of genius. Uh-huh. All right. So our topic this week kind of definitely goes with middle school. Oh, yeah. Insanity and weirdness. Oh, yeah. Click crimes. Ugh. This episode and last week's episode are just like taking me back yeah. to a time you couldn't pay me to repeat. <laughs> <laughs> to a time when you had. Describe some of your outfits, Amanda. Oh, well, my favorite t shirt <laughs> was a sleeveless tank. You can't really call it a tank top because it was like thick. It was like it, a t-shirt with the no sleeves. sleeves cut off. Yeah. Very tight, mm-hmm. made out of a fabric that does not breathe. It was basically mm-hmm. like a <laughs> It was like a spandex, like a rayon. It was not soft. Yeah. Um and it had a slit across the chest with yes. a little chain. I remember kept, that shirt. That kept the slit open and if you just bosomed in the right way, the slit would peekaboo your your, your trainer, trainer bra. Yep. I had um, <laughs> one of my sisters. Your chest acne. Yes, literally. <laughs> and this shirt was not helping with my chest just acne because just sweat just pooled. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of my favorite skirts was a hand-me-down pleated uh, plaid skirt from my sister. And mm-hmm. I took safety pins to pin yep. together in an X each individual pleat. And then I would wear torn fishnets with uh, these little like combat, black lace-up combat Chunky. boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was one of my go-to outfits. I remember And that. also trying to, I didn't have a hair straightener, so I would and I had gotten two perms in middle school, <laughs> two, and I would blow dry, straighten my hair so I could middle part it and have it like yeah. really framing my face in an unflattering way. It was, it was crispy. But it was it so was. big she because crispy. of the perm. It was a look. Yeah. 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 So I might have to you find some photos from Courtney's hardcore. archives to add to the blog, unless Lucy, mm-hmm. you've already taken care of this. Who knows? I can definitely dig some up because I remember that you were wearing that shirt with that hair at one of Courtney's birthday parties in her I backyard. So. Yep. And I do I believe have you photos mean Blortney. of that. Oh, sorry, Blortney. Blortney. Our oh, anonymous she- friend Blortney. Who <laughs> <laughs> lives in Snotsego, Minnesota. <laughs> Minnes Bloda. She, she totally listens to our show. It's not a big deal. It's fine. She's fine. <laughs> I had this crushed velvet three quarter yeah. length sleeve, yes. like silver top. I remember yeah. when my first, my I like thought eighth, my tiny little boobs looked so good in it. They did. <laughs> my eighth grade boyfriend picked me up, meaning his parents drove him to my house to pick me up to take us on our first date, which was like going to the mall. And he, he came in to meet my parents and he had meticulously spiked his long yeah. hair into these long <laughs> pointed sections, was wearing full-blown black with plaid accent Jenkos with chains. Yeah. And, yeah. Like a, and like a mesh tank top and wrist And a cuffs. duct tape wallet. And a duct a tape chain. wallet on a chain. Yep. And my dad was like, okay. 
<laughs> and then his parents come in to meet my parents, and they are the most like white bread Minnesotan family of all time. Yeah. Your and parents I, are like, okay, well, they're just a match made in heaven. I, I broke up with him at a bowling alley. I think it was one of your birthday parties that we were all invited to. Halfway through mine. the party, where we both stayed and enjoyed the rest of the party. Well, I enjoyed it. He was crushed. And I broke up with him. He was as crushed as Lucy's velvet. velvet Shirt. I wrote him and a note and sat down with him in a booth and slid the note to him across the table like I was I doing a, this a, like a, a negotiation yesterday. deal and sat there and just looked at him while he read the note that was me breaking up with him. And then I was like, I hope you understand and went and like bold my frame and like finished the fries that he had bought for us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I hope he's okay now, but I don't think he's well. I don't think he is actually. <laughs> that it's reminds fine. me of our anonymous friend Smellin, who lives in <laughs> Smilwaukee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she broke up with one of her college boyfriends. Love ooh, it. At Sharky's Bar in Cedar Falls, and mm-hmm. we were just, you know, drinking, dancing. And she was, she like kind of caught him in the corner and she's like, this isn't really working out for me anymore. And then she just turned around and goes, La, I broke up with him. (laughs) (laughs) And we just continued on with our evening. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) (laughs) You you owe me a shot. I anyway, what the fuck anyway, are we talking that was, about? That was a long. If you're new to the show, we don't often do this long of rants at the top. Oh. We get to them later in the show. I just have a lot to say about this particular. There are gonna topic. be so many anecdotes in this episode. So, so many. Let's fucking get to it. Let's yeah. get right to it. So, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for click crimes? Today, we are drinking Wink Wine Club's Outer Sounds Sauvignon <gasps> Blanc. This is a really good is one. my favorite. I get it in every mm-hmm. box. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can see how humid it is because I've had this wine sitting out for maybe eight minutes and it is <laughs> soaked. It's yeah. dripping. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to wipe it off. Um, mm-hmm. Just a reminder, this is from Wink Wine Club, which is an incredible online wine club that delivers wine to your door. And we are in month 800 of mm-hmm. not <laughs> leaving your home uh, mm-hmm. frequently, trying to limit your trips to the store. Um, so Wink Wine Club has been such an awesome resource to keep mm-hmm. us hydrated, if you will, throughout <laughs> quarantine. <laughs> entertained. Um, entertained. And they have an incredible inventory. Like, winemaking is still a thing during all of this. It Mm -hmm. is an agricultural necessity. And um, the seasons are still continuing to change, despite our lives being absolute hell. Monotone. Um, Yeah, monotone. Tepid pools of slime water. Dust. Mm-hmm. Everything's dust. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in order to continue surviving and thriving, I encourage you to join Wink Wine Club by heading to trywink.com forward slash gals. That's T R Y W I N C dot com forward slash gals. And if it's your first time there, you can get 20 bucks off your first box. You can order wine a la carte, or you could become a member to get awesome member pricing. And if you put four or more bottles in that cart, they take care of the shipping. It's a no-brainer, oh, people. It is. Ugh. 
So let's talk a minute about this wine. Uh, I definitely picked Outer Sounds because of the name, which reminded me of The Outsiders. And my mm-hmm. case also reminds me big time of that book slash movie. It's like mm-hmm. the ultimate click crimes story. Mm-hmm. So a little about this vino. A stretch of water known as the Outer Sounds leads from the sea-drowned valleys of Marlborough, this is a New Zealand sov, um, into the mystical wine country of New Zealand. Invigorated by such treasured terroir, this crisp Sauvignon Blanc has juicy passion fruit and citrus flavors, along with the classic green, grassy flavors that are so characteristic of Sauvignon Blanc from this region. Warm days and cool nights allow grapes to ripen evenly, unlike my middle school (laughs) grapes. Yeah. (laughs) Lucy's grapes definitely came in a little wonky. These evened out pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, Equally uh, grassy. I love your grapes, honey. (laughs) Offering both. The big one. They're so unique. Um, offering a bright natural acidity along with ripe fruit flavors and a mix of different vineyard sites throughout this famed region offer a multitude of different characters, clicks if you will, in the Mm. finished wine. This wine is a crowd pleaser, so no matter if you're a goth, a jock, a nerd, or a creepy witch who scowls at people in the cafeteria, this Mm -hmm. is the wine for you. Mm -hmm. Shall we crack? Yes. Let's do it. I'm like so thankful that we have a crack this week because my like weak depression arms I don't think could handle <laughs> oh, pulling they're just up atrophied. Out. I'm atrophied. <laughs> oh, you need to go for a social distance walk. And, I like, do. Get... Yeah. I also tough. sat outside today to finish my notes in the sunshine, and that really helped. And like three yeah. energy drinks also helped. Oh, oh that works. So if I need a a poop break in the middle of this episode, now you know why. We know why. It's going to be fizzy coming out. So fizzy. Okay, here we go. Oh. Nice click crack. Nice crack. (laughs) Exclusive crack. All right. I am drinking bourbon because I'm in Louisville. I am now a... Kentucky, Kentucky Wamon. Wamon. I'm she so jealous. I'm oh, drinking a Sauvignon yes. Blanc that happens to come in a liter bottle. Oh, I love bitch. it. It's huge. huge. <laughs> I love it. Well, cheers, my loves. Cheers. Cheers. All right. So, Lucy. immediately spilled. <laughs> Good thing I'm not wearing pants so I can just whisk it away. Yeah, I reach just for my couldn't. trusty cloth for when I inevitably spill on myself <laughs> and just dab. Mm-hmm. Lucy, what is our background and probably psych for click crimes? Mm. We got a little bit of both. So I just want to say that this topic really resonates with me because my personal mantra is hashtag no new friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made mm-hmm. all of my friends in middle school and like a couple after that, but mm-hmm. it was rough going. Yeah. I have that it's apparently, too much work. It's not worth I've, it. <laughs> I've heard many times from many people that that is like a very Midwest culture thing. <clears throat> yeah. To like basically have the same friends that you had since grade school and like mm-hmm. never let anybody else in. Yeah. You can be friendly with other people, but sure. it's never going to quite 
mm-hmm. get to that level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. it's too much work with like not that great a payoff, honestly. Mm-hmm. And as we've discussed before, <laughs> you really only can handle six good friends anyway. Five. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. five. Yeah. Whatever Done. that was. So yeah, I'm, I'm into this whole click thing. Merriam-Webster defines a click as a narrow, exclusive circle or group of persons, especially one held together by common interests, views, or purposes. The OED says that the, fir- that the word first appeared in English in 1711 in a wow. book ap- appropriately named The Club. Ooh, that That's makes sense. wild. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Long time. <clears throat> So various scholars think that the word came from the old French word, meaning latch, mm. which I guess mm-hmm. sort of Natch. makes sense. Natch. Mm-hmm. But etymologically speaking, it is not 100% clear, like, where this word came from. It definitely looks French. There's and no also, way to know. I used to pronounce it clique because I only, clique. like, read it in books, would not said it out loud. <laughs> like, Remember gleeking? Gleeking? Gleeking. gleeking. What's that? Like, what is that? I, there were, like, dudes in middle and high school who could, like, spit using the little, um, that little, like, saliva oh, your spot little saliva under shoot? your tongue. Yeah, and they could, like, shoot it out at people. Ugh. Yes. Speaking of goth clicks, yeah, I do like, remember, remember that. Like, remember that? Like, in yeah, the lunchroom? No. Ooh. And yeah. we wanted to make out with some of these boys, and I have so many questions I... for middle school me that will never be answered. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. You just can't look back on those times. Cool. I had a pair of jeans that I had Wiccan spells and written poetry on them, right? written Runes. in Sharpie. All we wrote over. on each other's jeans, yeah. constantly. No yeah. one ever wrote on mine because my mom would have gotten mad. I drew my mom on one of mine to, in a pen once, and she got pissed. My mom had to like <laughs> designate certain jeans that were like mm. allowed to be my yearbook jeans, as she would affectionately call them. Um, Okay, so back to this book, The Club, for a quick moment Because the guy, well, we'll get to it We'll get to it It was written by a guy named James Puckle And it's a dialogue between father and son Wherein the father asks the son about people in his club And then kind of teaches little lessons about each type of person in said club Okay Like The Breakfast Club Yes, exactly. So there would be okay. like, you know, the academic and the philosopher mm-hmm. and the, the bitch and whatever. The prom queen. The yeah. bitch. Yep. <laughs> the so, should have been homecoming queen, but lost. She lost got robbed. by two votes. I was robbed by my best friends. <laughs> you were being a bitch that week. I didn't vote. I was for moving you. anyway. I'm you putting should. on my robe. I need to be comforted by someone who cares about me. Yeah, this inanimate robe. object. <laughs> okay, so this book is supposed to be basically a series of like life lessons. In reality, James Puckle was an asshole. Puckle up. <laughs> Puckle up. <laughs> So he was like, he did like kind of dirty trade deals and he was like kind of like a dirty stockbroker almost in what? like the the fish, like the fishing boat business. I don't know. It's 1700s. Who the fuck knows? 
But he was also an inventor and happened to invent the first machine gun. Oh, wow. Okay. Puckle up is right. (laughs) Thanks. I hate it. His, oh, you're going to, it gets worse. His puckle gun fired two different types of bullets. One type of bullet was round and those were for Christian enemies. And the the square bullets, which, excuse me, which caused more damage were reserved for Muslim enemies. Oh, shit. So just to be clear, that's referring to the tip. It's like the mm. point is either rounded or square, not the entire bullet. Just so I you have know. no idea. No, that's, that's I'm telling you. Oh, <laughs> that, I don't know what bullets looked like in 1700s. Is. I don't know. Oh, God. Well, puck this guy. Because, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the guns, that big time. The gun's patent itself claimed that this feature would help to convince the Turks of the, quote, benefits of Christian civilization. Holy How shit. they'd be dead. Well, by not mortally wounding the Christians when fired upon. Oh, so it's like, well, they're survi- God is saving them and not mm-hmm. us. Uh, okay. Huh? But he was just so a fucking psychotic charlatan who was just creating different bullets to, cr- to give more damage. And creating cool. different words that we still use today. Oh, great. Yeah. All so, right. okay, back to clicks. The term is typically applied to high school students or like middle school students and what music they listen to, how they dress, the sports they play, the hobbies they have, etc. Mm-hmm. They can also be based on shared socioeconomic status or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Some typical click terms include jocks, druggies, popular kids, brains, nerds, punks, norms, theater kids, choir Boom. kids, Boom. rappers, <laughs> preps, stoners, rockers, freaks, geeks, Boom. and skaters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And to quote Mean Girls, yes, you got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, oh varsity oh jocks. It, the, I, this is it's from, a it's, it, it's a quote. It didn't age well, especially <laughs> this next part. Unfriendly black hotties, girls mm. who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, sexually active band geeks. Check, but also Amanda. Choir. But yes, I definitely fell in that category. (laughs) The greatest people you will ever meet and the worst beware of the plastics. So Mm. I included that. You can't sit with us. Exactly. (laughs) I included that just as sort of a little window into A, movies that, again, don't age very well. And B, Mm -hmm. just how ridiculous these parameters can be. Yeah. And C, is butter a carb? <laughs> she wouldn't let me wear my hoops that I got for my birthday. Um, no, but like a lot of these categories, maybe it's different now for Gen Z. I feel like the clicks are actually not as entrenched. Defined. Yeah. And when we were growing up, they definitely existed, but I don't think that they were. I don't remember our school being terribly antagonistic no and i can definitely speak to that because like the clicks certainly existed but i was Mm -hmm. much more of like a satellite individual 
And there was a lot of crossover between like the baseline groups that were naturally Mm -hmm. forming around. And like it very much had to do with like socioeconomic economic status, like who could afford to wear Abercrombie and a puka shell necklace every day versus who could not afford those types of clothes. And then there were Mm -hmm. always our like anti-establishment, like goth punk Mm -hmm. Right. You know, fr- mm-hmm. like all those friends and then like the theater and choir friends. But I feel like it grouped more in like what school activities you were into. Because in like mm-hmm. the theater group, there were so many different. There were like jocks who also did theater. There were like the yeah. goths who did a lot of crew. There were like the choir kids who did a lot of theater. So it was like a weird melting pot. Yeah. We and we spent an, a ton of time together. We also had an enormous Graduating class. Massive. Our like class 600. alone was 600 people, yeah. We also so went to a school huge. that was very wealthy, and we were mm-hmm. afforded a lot of opportunities. So I mm-hmm. feel like, yeah. who are we to say, based on our high school experience, what is normal? Oh, right. And no, bullying exactly. was just definitely our per- a thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah just I'm because just we didn't about, necessarily... Yeah experience Mm -hmm. it. I'm certain it was happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But I was trying to say more that, like, you really could see all of those different groups when we were in high school, whether or not, you know, people were limited to only one. I don't Mm -hmm. think so. But those same categories existed for our parents. Right. We'll get to it. But I don't know that they exist as much for Gen Z right now. But I could be wrong. I don't have kids. I have no earthly idea. I don't know any Mm -hmm. children. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. But yeah. Time to go harass some 12-year-olds on the street and get those answers. Yeah. If TikTok says anything, then... You know I hate TikTok. Can't go there. Still not clear what it is. A Chinese surveillance tool now, I guess. Absolutely. No interest. And like children doing very jerky dances. Hand dancing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay, so members within these different cliques tend to assume superiority over other groups. Mm -hmm. And of course, cliques, as Kenyon just said, exist at any age. It's not just adolescence, but adolescent clique stereotypes have their place in pop culture and media. Hello, Breakfast Club. Mm -hmm. As do most broad sociological generalizations. Plus, they are studied more frequently than adult friendship circles because they have such an impact on a child's you know, development, development in life. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. So the term usually has negative connotations, mm-hmm. such as when Leah called Ramona and Sonia clicky in the Hamptons in Real Housewives of New York season 12. Yeah. And that was like a wow. thing. Wow. Which like, you're not wrong, Leah. Oh, they're so clicky. They're hilarious, <laughs> but they're so clicky. Oh my God. Ramona suggests, is a nightmare, but yes. Oh, sh- her crazy eyes are amazing. They're wide. They're weird. It suggests that a friend group that isn't completely like open to others and that it can ban members if they break from what's socially acceptable within the group. Mm-hmm. Or like if they don't ever return your Gossip Girl book. Mm. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Who are you mad at for that right now? <laughs> I don't know if I ever borrowed it. So I just wanted to make sure that we're cool. I don't remember either. Great, then I'm going to call myself innocent (laughs) until proven guilty. It was probably Courtney, for God's sake. (sighs) Kenyon knows who it was. I'm not going to say it out loud. I do know. It wasn't me. It wasn't either of you. There is greater peer pressure with... (laughs) 
has greater peer pressure on those within a clique. In particular, there's often pressure not to socialize with people outside of the group. So Amanda was the freak in that respect. Such a freak. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's pressure. It's because I can make my face into any mask and just Mm -hmm. blend into my surroundings in a weird way. Nobody recognizes you. I belong here. Don't question it. (laughs) Just don't ask questions. A girl has no name. Yeah. You just peel off your face. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe there's, for example, pressure to wear pink on Wednesdays. Maybe a clique has its own vernacular, such as saying hello and goodbye to each other, if that sounds familiar to either of the two of you. Whams. Oh, yams. Ham. Ham. Bam. Bam. Sherms. We're so annoying. <laughs> or this group does the same repeated activities, such as maybe hanging out in the Pagel Center elevator after school to spy on certain hockey players. I don't and know. And make home movies. And make home moody- mm-hmm. movies. Because of Cinematic this potential- excellence. <laughs> we have to watch our blackmail video when we get back yes, together. Yes, we do. Because at this point, it is literal blackmail. Yep. Yeah. Because of this potential high degree of commitment and involvement in one's own clique, naturally this can result in conflicts with other cliques and outsiders, even social isolation in one's own group if their values and behaviors begin to shift away from the group norms. I was just having a conversation with some friends who I won't name because they listen to the show, but they were talking about how like in middle school, their core group, like there were six of them, three boys, three girls, and they like all dated each other. And if you tried to, like, date somebody outside of the group, then that couple was, like, ostracized until basically they broke up and then came back into the group. It was, like, very cutthroat. Ooh, that's scary. Mm -hmm. So, like, we definitely had some incestuous cross-dating, but I feel like we were – we didn't have enough (laughs) – like straight male counter, straight male <laughs> counterparts to choose from to, to adhere to such a law didn't stop some of us from dating the gay ones in our group. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I mean, they make really great boyfriends. They do. They really <laughs> do. <laughs> very oh, thoughtful. Very dependable. Great cuddlers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They always ask what color. Um, What's it called to get for dances? Flower oh, corsage. Ears, corsage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or they make one for you with their own Scott hands. made mine. Scott made mine too. Mm. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. So good. So managing group dynamics as an adolescent is tricky in general, especially when it's like fairly high stakes, like, mm-hmm. you know, clicks. Most children begin to be more aware of differences between ages 8 and 10, like around there, so like late elementary school. This is also when they begin to separate emotionally from their parents and identify increasingly with their peers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So between the ages of uh, roughly 10 and 12, this identification is greatly exaggerated and the child becomes an asshole for several years. Oh, yeah. There's no denying it. Your kid's going to be just a total douche until they're like living on their own and Mm self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Until like 25, until yeah. they have to pay for their own health insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. In middle and high school, an individual's sense of self-worth is very much tied to their social circles, obviously. Yeah. 
Psychologically, people feel emboldened when they know they are not acting alone. Hi, proud boy, MAGA, racist fucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gossip, yep. name calling, rumors, bullying, and cyberbullying. I'm so fucking glad we did not have Facebook and Instagram when we were in oh. high school. Oh, I know. I feel really sorry for all of you youngins today i've had this conversation with friends so many times where i just would be like a broken human being if i had access to social media social media as we know it today in those like formative years no break Mm -hmm. no break just to be so accessible and have people casting judgment on you from Mm -hmm. the comfort of their own keyboard expectations it was hard enough with like Right, passing notes and seeing I think each other that, only at school. I could see myself also getting caught up in the like cyberbullying of other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like because I was as shitty a teenager as the next person. You would have cyberbullied me a thousand percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would have been real good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll start cyberbullying you now as like uh, under a pseudonym just to try it. See how that goes for you. Don't bully me. I can't take it. I emotionally can't take it. (laughs) (laughs) I will switch schools, you guys. (laughs) She doesn't even go here. (laughs) I just have a lot of feelings. Okay, so gossip, name calling, rumors, bullying, cyberbullying tend to thrive within and between cliques because of this you know, psychologically mm-hmm. power and numbers thing. Sure. There's also a thing called homophily. Hmm. That sounds like a snack, but it's it not. It really does. Hominy. Mm. Which is the tendency of individuals to associate and bond with similar others, as in birds of a feather flock together. Homophily mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Got birds it. Birds of a feather fuck each other. Mm. The categories associated with homophily include age, gender, class, beliefs, values, education, and organizational role. Mm -hmm. These bonds make communication and relationship formation easier. And by the way, homophily has been observed in animals and like mated pairs of animals as well as humans. And that mating in the animal world, mating with like another animal that has like similar phenotypic expression is called assortative mating. Weird. Interesting. Okay. In in modern human society, we see this represented in, for example, joining a particular sorority Mm -hmm. or like going to a particular church or utilizing, Mm -hmm. even utilizing network connections to get a job interview. Sure. To be like, Mm -hmm. hey, we have this in common. Hire me. Yeah. And then that like usually works. Right. And so often these like cliques that form even at early ages, but then maintain well into adulthood, get into Mm -hmm. this like kind of gross privilege, like power dynamic hierarchy Mm -hmm. that grosses Mm -hmm. me out. Like, I don't know. No, I'm not talking about us necessarily, oh. <laughs> but like probably. Hi, here we are. This disgusting but, power dynamic. <laughs> I feel like sometimes you see. So toxic. Sometimes if I like visit so friends whose families have stayed so rooted in like Minnetonka culture, 
where yeah. like they, they those parents even went through the Minnetonka school system and then they stayed pretty close by for college or they went away but then they came back and really like or they went away to like Wisconsin like sure. to Madison but then which like is really basically p- just Minnetonka yeah. moved over to Madison for Shifted. four years but then they like <laughs> plant these roots and then that weird like click hierarchy almost becomes generational or they just like don't really grow out of it and then it's no longer about like being popular in school it's about like being at the top of your homeowners association or like whatever Mm -hmm. these like weird power Mm -hmm. trip moments that are just like so meaningless Mm -hmm. but when you have so little outside experience or when that bubble is like so small Mm -hmm. and so influential it's -hmm. like such a hard cycle to break and it just kind of makes me sad and grossed out well, and that's like one of the dangers of of cliques in adolescence when you're supposed to be finding out who you are and what you actually enjoy if you're right. already entrenched and committed to and almost in a way trapped in this certain right. circle of peers. It's you shaping don't get your to have own that, identity. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to have that those other experiences. It's you're just constantly influenced by others mm-hmm. in a fairly predictable way. It's a pattern. Sure. I so, feel like we mm-hmm. dodged a lot of that, to be honest. Like, we were very we, open, I think, to ha- having people bounce around. I remember organizing one of my birthday parties once. I think it was my like going away, right? Sweet sixteen, whatever thing. So I like had my sixteenth birthday and then like immediately like left the following week for the mm-hmm. year, and had everybody go to like the Doc Cinema at midnight, right. whatever. And the people that came, it was like a bunch of like. Like nerdy, like math so team boy. We made a whole flow chart of yeah. guests, like different yeah. pockets of our social circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was so disparate, but it, I don't know, people just got along. It was okay. It worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, anyway. I don't have I don't any know. super I, clear memories of it either. Like, obviously, us looking back to our own experiences right, is probably be real unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I yeah. also feel like we, as a, as a collective, had a fairly strong sense of our own identities before we made it to high school. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like, my experience in middle school, personally, just with, like, my dad being sick and the mm-hmm. changes in my at-home family dynamic, mm-hmm. I was so concerned in middle school with like who I hung out with whatever and then Mm -hmm. like so much changed for me at home that very abruptly I was like oh this shit does not matter Mm -hmm. and I feel like we had started to become friends sort of in the the midst of that like personal transformation and then by the time Mm -hmm. I got to high school I was just like eh I'm just gonna do the things that I like and I have this group of best friends and like whatever like I didn't bother myself so much with the hierarchy you know in terms of my perception of it in the moment, I probably did without like really realizing it in my own way or like within that like theater system that I was in or whatever. I certainly was engaged in that. But I feel like we didn't care so much about like where we sat in the in the cafeteria or those like very, very uh, cliche versions of clicks as you see them in media. Well, we were so close that I think it was more like family where you just, it was unconditional. You just Mm. had that trust that like you could do whatever. Like I wore, my style changed literally every single year. Freshman year, I wore a white baseball cap every single day. Mm -hmm. Sophomore year, I wore, I wore like Avril Lavigne 
like oh, hand that was socks a good phase. That for was a phase. good yeah, phase. You wore the Your hand fingerless socks. gloves. Fing- yeah, I I mean, really, really exploring sophomore mm-hmm. year. Really, mm-hmm. really going for it all over the place. And then junior year, I was gone, but I was in France, so I literally wore like boot cut jeans and like a mom sweater every single day because mm-hmm. that was like the style in Normandy, France. Mm-hmm. And then senior year, I like glammed up and wore like stiletto heels. To mm-hmm. me. I don't even know. I changed a lot. Phases. I mean, hard same. I have no recollection of m- my personal life. You had years. really <laughs> cool t-shirts and jeans. Oh, yeah. Your, well, like, t-shirt collection was I had a lot epic. of mm-hmm. sassy logo tees. I had, I went from being a full-blown goth to, like, argyle vests and wearing yeah. collared shirts under t-shirts. Yeah, yeah you weird. basically just changed plaids, but yep. radically. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. I'm sure listeners really give a shit about this. They okay. really do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to wrap this up, and like we were just talking about, not that I'm a parent, not that any of us are a parent, but it's important to pay attention to the groups that your child is a part of. And more th- more so than individual friends, the dynamics of a particular clique are more likely to influence a child's behavior, mm. of course, depending on their age. But self-esteem is so crucial in adolescent years, and being part of a healthy circle of friends is key. And sure. it is important to pay attention to who your kids are hanging out with. And also to just sort of understand this concept, because like I said, this isn't just something that adolescents experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's well into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And also to remember that, like, a kid with, like, spiky hair and safety pins all over their clothes and or possibly face can be a better person and better influence on your kid than right. somebody who's, like, all prim and proper looking. Like mm-hmm. you In a the, popped polo. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, the personality and the, the decency of the character means a whole hell of a lot more than the mm-hmm. trappings. And that's just, yeah. like, self-expression. They're, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Just, uh, I would put minimal stock into a teenager's appearance. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In particular, uh-huh. Amanda's. Yep. Whole <laughs> rubber, rubber face. face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we hear a quick word from our sponsors? Yes. Let's do it. I know that you've heard us talking about Rothy's before because we honestly kind of can't shut up about them. I tell everyone I see. Everyone I see. Which isn't that many people these days, but it's mm-hmm. enough. And now Rothy's makes bags and like sandals and mm-hmm. I, I, it, it's it's absolutely incredible. They are carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. They're doing good. And you know what else? You can throw them in your washing machine. Cha. It's. I'm a stinky foot gal. I wash my Rothy's like probably every two weeks and they come out brand spanking new every time. It blows my mind consistently. Kenyon, tell us more. Uh, they're amazing. 
Rothy's come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns, which means I continuously buy new pairs. Vogue calls Rothy's a, quote, personal obsession, and Health says they're the most comfortable shoes on earth, and they really are. Um, they're also super sustainable because Rothy's has kept over 50 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills and transformed them into their signature thread, which is then knit into beautiful, sustainable products. Yeah, I am buying those slides in cherry ASAP. Uh, literally buying the, what, candy apple, what's it called? The fringe. The candy apple, the knot sandals. Hi. Oh. Rothy's is killing us, but like in the most <laughs> beautiful way. <laughs> so check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com forward slash gals. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com forward slash G-A-L-S. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash gals today and treat your feet. Trade them. So as folks adapt to this changing world that we're living in, we are all going to be buying more stuff online than ever before. I know I have been. Mm -hmm. And if you're an e-commerce seller, are you ready to meet the demands of the new delivery culture? You can be ready with ShipStation. ShipStation is my passion? Is that weird? <laughs> Love of your life? We're in a committed relationship together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ShipStation helps online sellers of any size get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep customers happy. We use ShipStation here at Wine and Crime for uh -huh. our online store fulfillment, and it could not be easier. I love it. The interface is super simple. You can search for orders really easily. They've got a mobile app, so you can do so wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you're selling, if it's on Amazon, Etsy, your own website, wineandcrimepodcast.bigcartel.com, ShipStation <laughs> brings all of your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone, which I just said. But it deserves, it deserves to be repeated because it's extraordinarily easy. And ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. And best of all, maybe, they offer big discounts on shipping costs. So now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for like Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. So you'll always know that you're getting the best deal. And it is no wonder that ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. I would argue it helps you stay really organized, which is super important when you're operating mm -hmm. an online store of any size. Absolutely. And right now, Wine and Crime listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code GALS, G-A-L-S. Make sure your business is ready to meet the demands of delivery culture. Get started at ShipStation.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GALS. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter offer code GALS. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. <laughs> Are we ready for my case? Never. Yeah. 
All right. Well, it's real sad. Okay. Um, oh, good. <laughs> Sophie Lancaster was born in 1986 and grew up in Lancashire County in Northwest England. <gasps> Wait. Which, which means Wait. it's time for some geography. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you're going to need it because this case is super sad. Okay. Oh, okay. good. Levity. So, Lancashire County is home to the thriving metropolises of Cow Ark. How great Cow Ark. <laughs> <laughs> that is my Cab- favorite hymn. It's good. Cabus. Backup, which we'll get to. Oh, God. Backup. We'll back, we'll back up. To okay. back it up. Back it up. Waterfoot. Facket. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in my facket, facket. <laughs> we'll back, facket, we'll back up. Um, Garstang. Mm. Langho. <laughs> and <That's> my <laughs> Langho. And my favorites, Goosnar <laughs> and Grimzar. <gasps> Goose and Grim. Wow. Are they twins? That yeah, that's Basement Boy. Well, Sunshine Sun is probably Gusnach. Yeah, and Basement, Basement Boy, Boy is Grimsach. I know. I don't like any of this. Itaba Anna Grimsach. Yeah. If you're from any of those places, let us know how to actually say them. But I'm going with fuck it. <laughs> So, people who knew Sophie described her as intelligent and sensitive. She was quiet, but deeply concerned with issues of social justice and very passionate about those beliefs. She did well in school, and she loved to read, especially Harry Potter. Get Uh it. (laughs) When she discovered the goth subculture as a young teenager, which is commonly referred to as moshers in the UK... I feel like that was in the books Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. Yeah, I've heard that term before. I have mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. She felt like she had found like-minded people who would accept and value her for who she was. And through this group of friends, Sophie met and began dating Robert Maltby when she was 17 and he was 18. Okay. The two immediately became inseparable, and although they maintained close friendships with their group of mutual mosher friends. Mm-hmm. They were really into each other, and it often seemed to those around them like they were living in their own world. So they were sure. a tight unit, but they still had their other friends. Mm-hmm. Robert finished high school and uh, began attending art school. And when Sophie graduated the following year, she decided to move in with Robert and take some time off, although she did plan on eventually enrolling in college, and she was going to be an English major. Mm, young uh, love. God bless her. Obviously. She thought about going into mortuary science, yeah. and quickly <laughs> discovered there was science in mortuary science, and changed her major to English. Mm-hmm. Too much science. Just mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of science. Who needs it? Mm-hmm. Then one night in August of 2007, when Sophie was 20 and Robert was 21, the two spent an evening out with friends and then set off together to walk home. And it was kind of late at that point. It was a little bit after 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. On their walk home, the couple passed by Stubby Lee Park. Yes. In the town of Backup. 
<laughs> New drag name. Stubby, Stubby Lee. Stubby Lee Park. Ooh. <laughs> and back up. Back up, UK. <laughs> Uh, this was a popular hangout spot for skaters where uh, a large group of teenagers were already congregating. So they just for a rumble. Yeah, right? <gasps> the sharks versus the snakes or whatever. Jets. <laughs> oh, jets. <laughs> when you're a snake, you're a snake all the way from your first snake. Uh, something baked to your snake. last. <laughs> Uh, lingerie. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Nailed it. Thespian so, crimes. <laughs> so neighbors had been complaining for years about the underage drinking and vandalism that occurred in this park at night um, mm. because it was known as a hangout for, quote, drunken, violent yobs. <laughs> yobs. <laughs> Sounds like poop park. Which is at your old park. Oh, park. get a yob. Or your old house. <laughs> get a yob. Get a yob, you yob. Um, yob is basically the UK version of calling someone a redneck. Mm. Um, and I just feel like the Brits really do have better slang than us. Oh, it's so good. It just yeah. cuts in a different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they so, use the C word a lot more freely, which I love. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Australians, too. They cannot even get through a sentence without using cunt. It's amazing. Mm. You're fucking cunt. Cunt. <laughs> so the exact sequence of events gets a little unclear at this point, but Robert and Sophie stopped in the park and chatted with some of the teens who were there, uh, who were, like, drinking on the skate ramp, and they probably shared some of their cigarettes with them. So they were literally, mm. like, just being friendly And And generous. Yeah. So generous. But then two of the teens, who were later identified as 15-year-old Brendan Harris and 16-year-old Ryan Herbert, began kicking and punching Robert. And the attack became more and more frenzied when he tried to fight off the two guys who were attacking him. And Robert is 21? Yeah. I mean... There are photos on the drive. Um, you know, he's, he's... It just seems like a weird... I'm not victim-blaming. I'm genuinely curious. Like, what do a couple 20- and 21-year-olds have in common? Or did they just happen to, like, stumble upon this group? They were just... Their- yeah, they were just walking home. Okay, so there's no pre-existing relationship no. between these teenagers hanging mm-hmm. out in this park. Okay, okay. Never mind yeah. then. That they did that not. Up. They didn't know each other at all. Robert and Sophie were not the types to like hang out weirdly with fifteen-year-olds. No, okay. Got they it. do look from their pictures that they were just kind of like alternative, yeah, kinds of people. So sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not justifying an attack, but no. Mm-hmm. Sophie in the, during this attack desperately tried to shield Robert and pull the two boys off of him, but mm-hmm. she's she's quite small, right? And others joined in, and they they beat Robert until he was unconscious. I mean, they're just full-blown outnumbered at this point. Doesn't matter that age difference. Like, a mob of 15-year-olds with, like, so much adrenaline hormones flowing through their bodies. It's Mm -hmm. like, how do you even fucking defend yourself against that? That's so gross. And you're caught so off guard. Mm -hmm. The teens then proceeded to brutally turn on Sophie, 
once like Robert was unconscious and she had been trying to stop them, then they turned and started attacking her, repeatedly kicking her in the head and stomping on her. Oh, oh wow. my God. That it was, is dark. It was a very brutal, vicious attack. attack. Yeah. Ugh. At least one teenager present had something of a conscience and used a cell phone to call the police and report, and I cannot do a British accent, as we all know. You can try. Does anybody want to try? No? No. No. (laughs) I'm not going to try. We need need an ambulance at Backup Park. This mosher has just been banged because he's a mosher. Mm -hmm. Motive. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine the police just being like, what? Who? Yeah. Moshed potatoes. (laughs) Oh, I'm so hungry. These just, these bangers have been moshed. (gasps) I I I want bangers bangers and mosh. Yeah. I think we actually have like some vegan sausages and sweet potato that maybe we could do a little bangers and mash later. Yummer. Mm, You finish up. I'm going to text Bill. Okay. Tell him to tell make him, you food. Tell him how great an idea this is. <laughs> Get him in the kitchen. Kenyon's really violent and brutal case reminded me exactly what, what I, I want, want for dinner. dinner. <laughs> Bangers and mosh. All right. This part is really sick. So, Oh, this m- part. All of it. But this part especially. Most of the teenagers. So one teenager of this whole group called the police. But most of them involved reportedly were in a celebratory mood afterwards Mm. and bragged to other friends that they saw later that evening that weren't present during the attack. Mm -hmm. There's two moshers nearly dead up at Backup Park. You want to see them? They're a right mess. Yikes, that's creepy. That's like so I can see gross. the mob mentality among a bunch of teenagers getting like really intense in the moment, but then to continue to not only not have any remorse after the fact, but encourage others to go like gawk, gawk. at it like a spectacle. And Ugh. to just leave them there. Is a different kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It Thanks, goes I to hate show it. this power and numbers mob mentality bullshit. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the police arrived on the scene, Robert and Sophie's, oh God, you guys, Robert and Sophie's head and facial injuries were so severe that the responding officers initially reported that they could not distinguish the male victim from the female victim. Oh God, I just got- Were they alive? so gross. At that point? We will get to it. So both were rushed to the hospital- Robert had internal bleeding, and his injuries left him in a coma. Uh, eventually and miraculously, he recovered, but oh, wow. he never regained memory of the attack. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, it's I mean, our brain, body, yeah, protect. Our brains do a lot of amazing things to heal yeah. from trauma. Yeah, but if there comes to be like a suspect lineup that's not right. a great thing it's not right. it's not always great but for his own personal i don't know yeah and i think there were enough witnesses and well we'll get to it sorry i'm like getting a little emotional so sophie tragically did not recover mm-hmm. she was also in a coma and was transferred to a second hospital so neurology experts could be consulted on her condition and it was determined that she would never regain consciousness. And oh, so wow. 
uh, two weeks after the attack, her family made the heart-rending decision to end her life support. Ugh. Jesus Christ. And, like, imagine the bravery that she had to try to intervene to mm-hmm. help Robert when she's even smaller than him. Right. And, and completely outnumbered. Completely outnumbered. Mm-hmm. So uh, over 300 people attended her funeral. Police later arrested five suspects in the attack. So Ryan Herbert and Brendan Harris, who we mentioned before, mm-hmm. along with brothers Joseph and Danny Holm, or whom maybe, aged 17 and 16, respectively, and Daniel Mallett, who was aged 17. So actually, Ugh. like, the age discrepancies weren't... Pretty wide range. Yeah. I mean, one person was 15. Sure. One, uh, two were 16, and two were 17. Yeah. They're still kids. Idiot kids. Yeah. Little fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these last folks, their identities were not disclosed at the time of their arrest because they were minors, but then they, uh-huh. those identities were revealed in the years since the attack. Got it. it was initially estimated that as many as 15 teenagers may have taken part in the beating. Wow, so that's talk, a brawl. So talk about outnumbered. Yeah. But police concluded that they did not have enough evidence to arrest anyone else, and the other teens present uh, were maybe, they might not have actually taken part in, like, the physical beating, but they were witnessing and cheering on the attack and, like, Right, there was an encouragement. Yeah, didn't, didn't look for help, you know. Didn't intervene at all. Right, exactly. They're essentially, like, aiding and abetting a murder. Right, right. Or, like, accessory, maybe. I don't know how it works, UK laws, but... Yeah. Um, Based on numerous interviews, the five boys implicated were the only ones consistently doing the actual beating. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of witness reports, and kind of everybody said the same thing. It's these, these five were doing the beating. All five teens arrested were initially charged with causing grievous bodily harm with intent... But then after Sophie's death, because remember, she was in a coma for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then after her death, all five were then also charged with murder. Mm-hmm. Sophie and Robert's gothic mosher style had been noted by the police as a likely motive for the attack. Mm. And the prosecutor in the trial said in his opening statement that, quote, Sophie and Robert were singled out not for anything they had said or done, but because they looked and dressed differently. Mm-hmm. And, like, Robert had, you know, like, a double lip piercing and... Snake bites. Yeah, very cute. And I Sophie had, so you know, black and red dreads and, mm-hmm. you know, they were just doing their thing. They looked like people we would have hung out with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like, know these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Ryan Herbert and Brendan Harris were sentenced to life in prison. Because these wow. were the two that really started right. the whole attack. However, the murder charges against the other three boys were dropped. Mm. And uh, they received shorter sentences for the charge of just causing grievous bodily harm with intent. And I don't really know how that decision was made. It must have been based on, you know, the various testimonies and and what evidence they could muster. Mm -hmm. In his closing remarks at the sentencing hearing, the judge described the attack on Sophie and Robert as, quote, feral thuggery, which I don't normally use the word, yeah, I, but it is a quote, and also it's describing 
subscribing white people for a change. Mm -hmm. Uh, That should make people question the, quote, sort of society which exists in this country, adding that, quote, this was a terrible case which has shocked and outraged all who have heard it. At least wild animals, when they hunt in packs, have a legitimate reason for so doing to obtain food. You have none, and your behavior on that night degrades humanity itself. Wow. Which I thought that was a very powerful statement from the judge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The case received widespread media attention in the UK. I think I I had heard of it around when it happened. I don't know why. But then this was also uh, the fan pick case. Fan pick cases are really dark. Mine in this episode is also a fan pick case. So I think this fan wanted two different cases covered. Okay. All right. And mine's also very sad. All right. Well, there you go. Did you do the same (laughs) case? No. (laughs) Sophie and Robert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In Bakoop. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Very different cases, but not really. So many people saw this case as an example of both the growing problem of youth violence in the UK and also intolerance towards alternative communities. Mm-hmm. And then Sophie's life was widely com- commemorated by the goth community, if, if there is such a thing as like the goth community, but kind of worldwide, Sure, her, her death was held up by a lot of different people who identified with with her and her lifestyle. Right. So the yearly metal festival Bloodstock named named a stage after her. Bloodstock, I know. And numerous artists created poems, music, and visual art in tribute to her, which I definitely would have badly sewn onto my jeans at the time. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Sophie's mother, Sylvia, started a nonprofit called the Sophie Lancaster Foundation, which focuses on promoting respect for alternative subcultures within communities, which I thought was very cool of the parents. It has also worked to expand hate crime laws to include members of alternative communities, Mm -hmm. which I like. Yeah. And also we need a federal anti-lynching law in this country. Probably Um, not going to happen in this administration. Definitely not. But 2020, please vote. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Largely thanks to Sophie's mother's work, in April 2013, the Greater Manchester Police announced that they would officially begin to record offenses committed against goths and moshers and other alternative groups as hate crimes, as they do with offenses specifically aimed at someone's race, disability, or sexual orientation, which is great. Mm -hmm. Like, if someone is targeted for that, then there's, there's, yeah, it, it absolutely yeah. should fall within that right. membership of a group. Right. In June of 2017, the BBC released a TV movie based on Sophie's death called Murdered for Being Different, mm. which, like, I'm glad they made a film honoring her, but that is that title is unforgivable. It's, <laughs> like, really bad is. even by, like, lifetime movie standards. It's, so it's, like, not even no good creativity. as a working title. No. No effort was put into that title. None. (laughs) Robert avoided the press after Sophie's death, but leading up to the release of the TV movie, he gave his first public interview. In the 10 years since the attack, he had made a full physical recovery, which is, again, pretty A miracle. Yeah. Yes. Um, He was able to return to art school, and he eventually received a degree in illustration. So he is just 
crushing it. And there's a photo thriving. on the drive of him thriving in 2017. It's worth noting that he also revealed that the media narrative around Sophie's death had actually always bothered him. Mm. So he felt like the news coverage at the time of the attack had exaggerated the whole goth angle. Mm-hmm. And he remembers being dressed in like jeans and a hoodie that night. Right. And that like, yes, he had, they both had piercings and she had dreadlocks, but like he isn't convinced that their appearance that night is why they were attacked. He just thinks sure. that like maybe this group of teens just were like intent on causing Fucking harm to up. someone. Sure. And they happened to walk by. It's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. He told The Guardian that, quote, besides being patronizing, the goth thing was also an oversimplification of a much broader social issue. Life hasn't progressed in these poor areas. There's still that dissatisfaction, that stagnation. These areas are still forgotten, and forgotten people will feel like, well, it can breed nihilism. Mm. I've never tried to demonize the attackers, and in many ways, they were victims. It's a wow. very interesting and like emotionally evolved way to frame that. Yeah. That's really impressive, He's honestly. kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, also, if he grew up in that community, then he would identify just as much, if not more, with the socioeconomic vibe sure. of the neighborhood mm-hmm. than his quote-unquote goth, you know, mm-hmm. which could which could have simply been a preference for music and fashion and not like right. so much of an identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is really important in like when we talk about stories like this and just in general as a culture that we do evaluate like the why of and the how these crimes end up happening, Mm -hmm. especially if we want to strive for, you know, like harm and violence reduction in communities. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, what leading up to this Mm -hmm. out of control moment contributed Mm -hmm. to these teenagers' ability to even carry out an act like this. Mm -hmm. Because it's never just one thing, especially in a group of 15 people. It's not going to be one trigger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He went on to say, quote, it was always like, Sophie was killed because she was a goth. No, she was killed because some arseholes killed her. Mm -hmm. Why can't we ask what it is about them that made them want to murder someone? Not mm-hmm. what is what not what it is about someone that made them be murdered. So he also mm-hmm. kind Victim of saw blaming. the exactly the whole goth angle. Although I'm sure the press didn't see their portrayal as victim blaming. Right. He experienced it as sort of victim blaming Sophie. Like if she had just fit in better or if we had just, right. you know, not she wouldn't have been a target. Right. But actually, it's like, they these kids could have attacked anybody. And what were right. they all doing hanging out in a park at 1 a.m., right. riling each other up? Mm-hmm. You know? As for the men who attacked Robert and killed Sophie, the three who received shorter sentences have since been released. And Robert says that he worries about running into them in the neighborhood because he still lives in the neighborhood that he wow. was living was in then. Acting, yeah. He lives 10 minutes from the crime scene. That would be Ugh. so hard. Yeah. But he also says that he's not sure that he would recognize them, probably because like that's the first time he ever laid eyes on them was that attack, and he doesn't have a right. great memory of the attack. Right. But like they could recognize him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sure, you know, their, their whole lives, they, they, yeah, they don't have the brain damage and they experienced a trial and right. I'm sure they could recognize him. Mm-hmm. Brendan Harris and Ryan Herbert are still in jail. Mm-hmm. These are the two that were sentenced to life in prison. Although in February of this year, Ryan Herbert successfully petitioned to have his minimum sentence reduced for good behavior. And so he will be eligible for parole in 2020. Mm -hmm. And when did this crime take place? 2007. Ah, okay. So like that is not life in prison. He's not Mm. out and he's not going to be, he's not like guaranteed to get parole, but he will now be eligible for parole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always have conflicting feelings on that. Anyway, and I kind of talk about this a little bit in my case, too, about how, like, we, especially as white Americans, have been, like, taught what justice is. And yeah, it's that like it's a, a very longer much sentence or not. crime yeah. and punishment model. And it's like, we don't, we're, like, prison is not meant for rehabilitation, no matter how much people try to posture themselves as it being a rehabilitative process. It's just not. But, like, mm-hmm. ultimately, in the, ultimately, in the long term, we want people to be rehabilitated and returned into society in a way that's safe for everybody. Right. And, like, so I, I while on the surface this is really frustrating, it's like you took somebody's life, why should you be able to have yours? But that whole, like, eye for an eye thing is not, and he was it's not the right model. He was a, a teenager. He was a teenager. When, so if he could, you know, I think of who I was at 16, 17 years old. Not mm-hmm. that I was ever capable of something like this, but who knows? Circumstances create different, mm-hmm. you know. Outcomes. Outcomes, exactly. So it's like you hope that somebody would grow and evolve mm-hmm. and and get better in prison and that, that we as a society would be willing to let people change. learn and change. Yeah. But it is really hard when you see someone's life taken to not be like, fuck you. That is not justice. You know, it's the worst. Anyway. So I'm sorry that that was so dark, but I do think it is important to honor Sophie. And there you there you have it. Yes. Great. I love it. Let's hear a word from our sponsors and may they take forever so I can recover. (laughs) You're going to want to recover quick because my case is also sad. So let's let's drink a word from our tissues.com. Hot topic. The future is unknown, plain and simple. And if you've been struggling with the so-called new normal, hi, I have. It's not just you, clearly. But st- yeah. stress and anxiety do not have to rule your life. Mm-hmm. If anything helps reduce stress and anxiety, it's talking it out. And Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, check, depression, check, relationship issues, check. Uh, maybe check, <laughs> and more. If you have something specific you want to work on right now, they will find someone that is right for you. And we all use Talkspace. My husband uses Talkspace. He is like a consummate multitasker. And he uses Talkspace. Well, nowadays we can't go to the gym. But in normal times, he used Talkspace at the gym on the treadmill. That blows my mind. But also like kind of doubling up on your self-care. Exactly. Yeah. 
So it's, what I love about Talkspace is that it's like, it's just so convenient. Mm -hmm. So if you have a busy life, which I'm sure you do, like Talkspace fits around your life rather than you trying to scramble to fit therapy into your, you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to cram it into your schedule. Yeah, and I'm always running late for appointments, and you just don't have to worry about that with Talkspace. And you also, like, don't really want to be making in-person appointments necessarily right now, so... Sure, sure don't. I recommend um, Talkspace to everybody. Yeah, it's also super affordable because one month on Talkspace costs about the same amount as a single in-person therapy session. But with Talkspace, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist, and they'll engage with you at least five days a week. So that means you never have to wait to share what's on your mind, which is good for me because I am not very patient. Mm -mm. (laughs) So the bottom line is that we all need to talk sometimes, and Talkspace wants to give more of the support that we deserve at a price we can afford. As a listener of this podcast, you can get $100 off your first month on Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code GALS, that's G-A-L-S, to get $100 off your first month and to show your support for the show. That's GALS and Talkspace.com. Treat your brain. Treat it. Third Love does bras differently. Their bras are designed to fit you and not the other way around. Third Love bras are designed with measurements from millions of people, and their bra styles are made to fit your life. They have over 80 bra sizes, but they know that the only one that matters is yours. Yeah. Also particularly crucial if you got kind of lopsided puppies like I do. So I love Third Love because they really do truly fit and you really are able to find a style that works for you. So Mm -hmm. Third Love stands behind their products. If you don't love it, every customer has 60 days to return and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. I love that. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit, and they are available to help via chat or email. I love it when companies offer chat options. Yeah, way easier. Because I'm a millennial and like, you know, confrontation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Returns and exchanges are free and easy. I will fully disclose that I'm wearing a Third Love bra right now. I have the 24-7 classic uplift plunge bra, and the reason nice. why I love it is because, like I said, my boobs are uneven and this bra has like kind of a little sheer lace like thing on the on the top of the cup that just very cute it just keeps you know maybe the smaller one from not having that gap Mm -hmm. and I also have the lace contour plunge for the same reason it's like kind of a sexier version because you know bras for Saturdays for Saturdays And Third Love donates all of their gently used returned bras to people with breasts in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. And so far, they've donated over $15 million in bras. I, you can't, they, they're checking all the boxes here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Third Love knows that there is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash gals, G-A-L-S, now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash gals for 15% off today. Treat 
your puppies. <laughs> Treat them. Sports are more than just a game for the women who play, coach, and broadcast them. They're a way to change the perception of women and push society further toward acceptance and equality. I love that. USA Today Sports presents Changing the Game, a new podcast where host Nancy Armour sits down with icons, Olympians, and trailblazers to talk about their careers and the impact that they've had beyond the playing field. Subscribe to Changing the Game on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. All right. So, like I said, this case is pretty fucking heartbreaking. So, puckle up. <laughs> I knew I knew that this topic was going to be real so sad. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Top that baby <laughs> off. So, Brian Denicky was born in Wichita, Kansas. You said Kansas. Kansas. Is that right? right? Okay. Uh, in 1978, he was the youngest of two boys. His older brother's name is Jason. And the family lived in Wichita for several years before relocating, lo- relocating, hi, I'm drunk, to uh, Amarillo, <laughs> Texas in 1981. Brian was a creative kid with a love for dance and the arts. He was into skateboarding, just like this cute little alternative oh. little, little baby. Um, school was not his favorite thing. Hi, can't relate. Um, and he actually decided to leave high school his junior year and complete his GED instead, making art and music his priority. He, he played in the punk rock group with a very questionable name. And I actually tried to figure out like, why did you call your band this? Cause I have to imagine it was some sort of political statement, but I couldn't figure it out cause this was a while ago. The name was called The White Slave Traders. So the traders were white or the slaves were white? I don't know. Both, maybe? But, like, there's nothing that I could find that indicated that he had, like, neo-Nazi ideation. Mm. He just was, like, a punk kid. He would wear, like, very anti-establishment, like, patches and things like that. It's just just provocative. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. yikes, for sure. Yeah. Not a fan. I Hard had a yikes. <laughs> yeah. The rest of this frames him as being a very good kid, but that was really Not a okay. stupid thing to name your fucking band. Yep. Um, but he had big dreams of making punk rock his lifetime career, and he was, you know, teen white boy punk personified he had a big mohawk like studded collar necklace sticking- i would have absolutely thrown myself at him oh for sure there's photos of him on the drive he mm-hmm. looks like a combination of a couple of our ex-boyfriends he mm-hmm. sounds um, like schmieder smith yep yeah pretty much uh he had like at home stick and poke tattoos which i still need a stick and poke tattoo using like ballpoint pen ink or i'm not mm-hmm. even truly a tattooed person <laughs> um so you despite not truly a person infected with a staff infection right yeah, exactly. <laughs> until you've gotten a stick and poke <laughs> so despite his spiky exterior he was known for being a gentle and friendly kid many of whom called him sunshine he was sunshine son He's really um, cute, And basement too. boy in one. He Pretty much. Cute. A hybrid. So, he was frequently the target of bullying by those in his community, and it's honestly the most, like, textbook outsider's movie plot of all time. So according to the Dallas Observer, quote, tensions between the jocks and punks in, in 
Amarillo, Texas, had existed for months. There had been constant name-calling in the halls of both Tuscosa High School and Amarillo High School, and punks were getting jumped in the street Mm -hmm. by packs of white hats. (gasps) Kenyan! Literally. They were so-called because of their fondness for white baseball caps bearing the names of colleges with top-ranked football teams such as Notre Dame or Michigan. Kenyan! Kenyan was a white hat. No! But I sorry, no, you literally I, wore a white hat, a white baseball cap. But I was friends with I was friends with punks and listened to punk music too. I just wore a white hat, high school hat because I had acne on my forehead and I was really upset sure. about it. Yeah, and I had and I hadn't discovered French bangs yet. You yeah, were painfully preppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. You for pulled a while. it off. You nailed it. So it's something that none of the jocks want to talk about now, but some of them appear to have made a sport of harassing the couple of hundred punks, goths, and skinheads who make conservative Amarillo their home. And now, again, the term skinhead, I typically equate with, like, neo-Nazi culture, but I wonder if it was a little... Originally, originally it was, like, hardcore punks. And then neo-Nazis, as far as I know, kind of appropriated that look. Mm-hmm. They like in the film SLC Punk. Exactly. Right. They weren't originally inherently white supremacists, skinheads. Right. So, and I ju- I simply do not know enough about I, these teenage boys' backgrounds to like really mm-hmm. have the answer to what their like political or, you know, anti-racist yeah. or racist affiliations were. I simply do not know. Um, but I couldn't, I literally Googled like, what does this mean? And then mm-hmm. Brian's name to try and find like some reason behind the name mm-hmm. of the band, like, you know, some of his fashion choices. And like, I couldn't find anything that indicated that he was like an active white supremacist. I hope so, not. So I'm really hoping not. And if people do have more information on that, I'd be mm-hmm. more than happy to hear it. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously there are a lot of like, Punk culture and skidhead culture, like you said, Lucy, like crossover and appropriation where I think those lines get really blurred in mm-hmm. some situations. So I, ju- I just don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'm just giving the information that I was able to find. I'm just picturing the like hockey jocks who right. would like drive past the Doc Cinema and mm-hmm. like harass people out the window. Scode. Yeah. Yeah. Scode. Mm. So... Brian had become a bit of a leader in the Amarillo punk scene, helping bands book shows and organizing events, as well as playing in his own band. And a bit of a turf war was developing in 1997 between high school football players and these anti-establishment punks. Wow. Most of the time. How unoriginal. I know. It's a, it's a literal <laughs> cliche. It's the sharks Everything's and the Everything's boring mm. in Texas. And the snakes. <laughs> Most of the time, I actually love Texas. I love Texas. (laughs) Most of the time, these rumbles would end in fisticuffs, as boys are wont to do. Kerfuffles. Kerfuffles. On December 12th, 1997, there was one such a night of brawling. The two groups engaged in a fight in the in the parking lot of the Western Plaza Shopping Center, which allegedly no longer exists. Um, It was basically a strip mall. It had some shops. There was like an IHOP across the parking lot. It was a very common hangout. It was our seven high with the Wendy's in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. We all hung out on that block. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
the jocks were led by Dustin Camp, who at the time was 17 years old and a football star at the local Amarillo High School that Brian had left that prior year or within mm. the last like two years. Mm. As fighting escalated into hand-to-hand combat, Dustin got into his car with the seeming intention of leaving the scene and not engaging in any more fisticuffs. Instead of leaving the parking lot, however, he turned his Cadillac around and deliberately struck Brian with the car and then fled the scene. Oh, my God. It gets worse. Brian died almost immediately, and a witness testified in court that Dustin was going after the group of punks, even driving over a median in order to hit them, yelling, quote, I'm a ninja in my caddy, and, quote, I bet he liked that one after he struck Brian. Jesus. Yeah, it's fucking bad in this part. Th- this, like, account was really hard to read. So Dustin had two passengers in his car during the attack. His friend Rob Mansfield in the front seat and Rob's best friend Elise Thompson was in the back seat. In a chilling article in the Dallas Observer, Elise gave an account of the scene. Quote, she is sitting in the back seat of her friend's enormous Cadillac, and she is jerking her eyes from window to window as chaos wraps itself around her. The car is moving. She cannot form words, cannot breathe. Jagged images of bats and batons and chains cross-cut the shadowy outlines of human figures casting one, uh, chasing one another, grappling on the pavement. Clubs that's and, a real, sorry. But it's like, a brawl. I, that's a real, yeah. Yeah, it fight. was an all-out brawl. That's a Jets versus snakes mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sharks, snakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Clubs and chains slam against glass and metal. The car turns, jumps a curb. She braces herself against the movements. She hears the driver's words floating up from the chaos, divorced from all context. I'm a ninja in my caddy. She turns forward, straightens up in the middle of the backseat. Directly in front of the car, she sees a man with his arm raised up. His Uh, his back to the grill. He is dressed in punk rocker regalia. He is holding a black stick. Instantly, he turns. He is looking right at her. The look, she says, is complete terror. The car does not stop. The man's body seems to roll onto the hood, then is sucked under. She feels one bump, then another. She is hoping, hoping desperately that it is the median, not flesh. She turns again, looking out the back window, and sees a crumpled figure on the pavement, limbs splayed, blood everywhere. Oh my a girl God. is running toward his body. She hears more words from the driver. They have faded edges. They are less distinct. I bet he liked that. The car does not stop. In tears, talking nervously about he'd, how he'd made a mistake, how he'd take the fall alone, the teenage driver of the Cadillac dropped off his buddy Rob Mansfield, who had been sitting beside him in the front seat, and Rob's best friend, 16-year-old Elise, at their homes. Rob and Elise immediately woke up their parents. Within minutes, the two families who live across the alley from each other were talking on the phone. Together, they escorted their children to the downtown police station, where both teens gave statements to police. Good. Dust- Dustin also told his parents what had happened when he got home. This is after uh, that quote ended with statements to the police. And now this is just me in my notes. So Dustin told his parents what happened when he got home that night and they instructed him to get some sleep and they would deal with it in the morning. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. And this lack of urgency painted a devastating picture of their collective nonchalance at the murder of young Brian as the family rested up with Dustin's bloodied Cadillac sitting in the garage for hours before they bothered to go to the police. Oh, my fucking God. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, fuck those parents. Yep. 
Also, what kind of fucking psychopath <sighs> is a teenager who drives a Cadillac? Yep. In the 90s. Blyanna drove a Cadillac. In the 90s. Oh, yeah. And drove at him. I mean, obviously, a car versus a stick is not a fair fight. But he also drove at him when Brian was facing... Back was turned. Yes. Yeah. It's 100% fucked. Do you think that the driver targeted Brian specifically to hit him or he just wanted to hit a, a punk person? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think he... He probably knew him. They had gone to the same high school. Right, and they'd been bullying him for a long time. I think, Yeah, I think he knew exactly who he was, and he... I think so much has to happen in those moments where it's like, all right, my intention is to drive into a crowd of people, and a crowd scatters, one standalone with their back turned is an easy target. He didn't see him coming, and... In that split second, it's like, okay, now I have a target. It must have been at some speed, too. Yeah. I mean, he drove away from the crowd, turned around, had enough speed to go over a median, like a grassy median in a parking lot, and then over a body and drive away. Right. So he was not driving. It was not like, I'm going to threaten you with my car. It's like, I'm going to hit someone with my car. This is so fucking sick. And fuck those parents for not giving two shits about Mm -hmm. the parents of Brian. Right. Get some sleep. Really paints a picture into the upbringing of this guy Mm -hmm. and maybe why he's such a fucking psycho. Yeah. The privilege is thick. What was that word? The affluence? Uh, Affluenza. Mm -hmm. Affluenza. Definitely Mm -hmm. some affluenza going on. So because he was so well-known in the punk and skateboard scene, Brian's death sent a shockwave through his community, but only sparked further outrage at the court ruling against Dustin. He was charged with first-degree murder, and his defense worked hard painting a negative picture of the punk community, trying to put the blame on them for Dustin's attack. He leaned into the framework that he was defending a fellow football teammate and that the defense referred and the defense referred to the punk crowd as violent armed goons despite there being evidence that both sides were armed with weapons in the this form of baseball bats and chains. You're also sick. in a vehicle versus somebody yep. on foot and you were able to drive away and then you made the decision to yep. turn around. Exactly. So this was obviously yeah. not the case. Hard no. And not only did the punks at the scene testify against this theory, even the passengers in the car with Dustin incriminating him in court, saying he was not, in fact, acting in defense of one of the jocks. And in an all-too-familiar defense move, Dustin's legal team implored the jury to consider Dustin as a kid with his whole life ahead of him. His whole swim record. Exactly. I literally say Brock fucking Turner, anyone, in this next part. But it's like... He ended the life of another kid with the same lifetime of possibilities ahead of him. So it seems like, I don't know, anytime that's used in a defense, I'm like, how fucking dare you? This person intentionally took away somebody else's chance mm-hmm. at it's living also that life. Only used for white men. Yeah, young white boys and yeah. shit. It's not even used for white girls. Right. Mm-mm. They've had their whole lives ahead of them. It's mm. exclusively for white men. It's fucking boys. bullshit. So though Dustin was charged with first-degree murder, the jury was unable to agree with that charge and came back with an involuntary manslaughter conviction. 
Dustin was charged with 10 Super years voluntary, of- first of yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Dustin Not was charged with 10 years of probation and a $10,000 fine, which was later dropped. And he did not see a day in prison for this crime. Excuse me? What? Yeah. So this is, I'm going to circle back to kind of what we talked about in Kenyon's case. Like, this is a concept that I'm consistently struggling with these days. And as I learn more about the prison industrial complex and how we as Americans, especially white Americans, have been taught a crime and punishment model that has shaped the framework of how we view justice, obviously this is an absolute miscarriage of justice. I think either way, this is a miscarriage of justice. This is a violent crime. I think the prison industrial complex thrives off of Putting petty away offenses. black and putting away black and brown people for mm-hmm. petty offenses and nonviolent crimes, and also I agree. jacking up and piling on charges for you know very petty. crimes. I completely and agree. It's, it's it's very different than someone driving a car at someone right. to kill them. And because of Dustin being white, he is directly benefiting from yeah. the prison industrial complex yeah. with this conviction. Mm-hmm. Because it is it is a model that targets disproportionately, like you said, people of color and people mm-hmm. who are poor. And this yeah. is a wealthy white boy. So yeah. as I move further and further away from accepting the justice system in the prison system as we know it, and that's one of the other things that makes this so complicated is like, does this kid deserve to be fucking put away? Yes. But yeah. if we're going to change the system fundamentally, that change has to apply to everyone. And so we can't pick and choose what justice looks like because he's a pr- shitty privileged white kid. Like it's it's a very complex and like but dialectical argument. Did, but what, what he, he did deserves, deserves justice. It's a violent crime. I completely a violent, agree. premeditated crime. I completely agree. And I know that I'm not alone in like the child, the challenging dialectical Mm -hmm. thinking that makes me wonder if prison as we know it is truly justice. And if it isn't, what is the alternative? Because Mm -hmm. people who commit violent crimes like this cannot Mm -hmm. just walk unpunished as Mm -hmm. like, neither can the police who fucking killed Breonna Taylor. Like Mm -hmm. we need a system that is actual true justice. That's also fair so that yeah. boys like Dustin don't benefit from it mm-hmm. while young black men... Like, can you fucking imagine oh. if, a, if a 17-year-old black boy had committed this crime? And I don't... It wouldn't matter that that Brian was a punk. Like, it wouldn't matter. Oh, he'd, uh, he would have been executed. He right. mowed him down in penalty. cold blood. Right. So mm-hmm. that that young black boy likely wouldn't have even survived transit at the hands of police mm-hmm. to see his day in court. Mm-hmm. And yet Dustin receives 10 years of probation and a $10,000 fine that n- he never had to pay. No, he only got 10 years of probation. That's yeah. it. So this is obviously a huge conversation and one that I'm still actively trying to learn about and I need to read a lot more from Angela Davis. But yeah, we all do. Long and short of it, within the framework of the justice system as it was then and certainly still is now, this is absolutely a miscarriage of justice. Mm -hmm. And Dustin did end up going to jail later for violating his fucking parole when when he was caught drinking underage at a party. And his father, once again, Privilege Magoo, stepped in to try and cover for him, which didn't work. (laughs) Fucking Privilege Magoo strikes again. And so he was sentenced for eight years, which of which he served five years, and he was paroled in 2006. So he's out. This this 
boy who is now a man is mm-hmm. living his life. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I hope it's going terribly for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you so, suck. Yeah. So this incredibly lenient sentence sparked massive outrage in Amarillo and resulted in citywide demonstrations, national media frenzy, and celebrity outreach. In a film called Bomb City, which came out in 2017, um, it's all about this case. And this came case came back to the forefront as like the true crime that this storyline is based on. Mm. So the end of the film shows a speech given by Marilyn Manson, who, as we know, was like very outspoken during the Columbine, mm-hmm. uh, in the aftermath of the Columbine shooting. Um, in middle school, we had a horrible woman who was like in charge <gasps> wings of like teacher, like special, like, you know, brainiac nerd kids Mm -hmm. and she tried to make us all write a a letter to Marilyn Manson being like Mm -hmm. we blame you whatever and no she She wanted us to write a letter to an open letter to the target center asking them not to host Marilyn Manson because yeah he caused Columbine quote unquote and and you me and Scott refused to write it Mm -hmm. and like reported her we were like no this is wrong gross yeah and we were in sixth grade I think yeah I was like, I feel sorry for the bat, but, like, whatever. No. The bat. Or that was Ozzy Osbourne. That was Ozzy Osbourne. And didn't it come out that that was... like, literally did nothing wrong, I think. I don't know. There's a lot of gray area about his, like, possibly sexually problematic... Oh, never mind. Stuff, I don't know much about him. I don't know much about him either. He did not cause Columbine. Let's but he did that. not. And he was like very, I mean, if you watch mm-hmm. Bowling for Columbine, he was like very much involved in not painting a picture of popular mm-hmm. culture as the reason that that, that those boys mm-hmm. shot up a school. He's a but really anyway, interesting like pop culture person. He's, he's, a, he's an interesting, fascinating man. And that's all I really know. But mm-hmm. uh, he said at the end of the film in like a speech that uh, – Marilyn Manson, quote, notes that Denneke was killed once by camp and then killed again by the trial, which essentially argued that he deserved to die because of the way that he looked. Mm -hmm. From the Daily Beast, quote, with that in mind, it's almost chilling when the final confrontation takes place in the film. The image of all the jocks gathered in one place is reminiscent of the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally of last year when this at at the time this article was written. First thing I thought of. Yep, Mm -hmm. in which white supremacists, Klansmen, and neo-Nazis gathered to display their hate. The rally soon became violent, with 20-year-old James Alex Fields Jr. driving his car into a group of counter-protesters, killing one, Heather Heyer, and injuring 19 others. Higher? Okay, sorry. Uh, And injuring 19 others. Many of the images from the rally are of young white men cut in camps mold, and much of the criticism of the handling of the rally has been leniency based on the fact that the gathered protesters were white. Race doesn't really play a part in Bomb City in so much as the incident was instigated by and affected white people on both sides. But there's still a relevant point to be made in that privilege can seriously tip the scales when it comes to who gets away with what. The film's mm-hmm. portrayal of police brutality touches upon that as well. When the punks are apprehended for graffiti, the cops use undue force to subdue them, including forcing the barrel of a gun into a girl's mouth and spraying the boys with hoses. But when this it is com- in the film? In the film, no. yes. Okay. Which doesn't mean that that was not based on an actual altercation with police, but that's how it's portrayed in the movie. And okay. from all of the clips that we've seen during the you know, massive mm-hmm. amounts of beautiful protesting in the wake of the death of George Floyd— 
what I even once was unsure of in terms of how brutal police are when it comes to approaching groups of demonstrators in any capacity Mm -hmm. is now so fucking solidified in my brain, having A, experienced it now firsthand, and B, seeing all of the footage from around not just the United States, but the world Mm -hmm. and how disproportionate and how terribly these fucking cops are handling this shit. That whole system has Mm -hmm. got to go. Mm -hmm. But anyway... To continue this quote, but when it comes to the jocks, the cops break up a bonfire party complete with underage drinking by just telling the kids to go home. Mm -hmm. And probably some guns. Yeah. And probably some illegal fireworks. Yeah. Definitely weed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And in the film, uh, Kate's, who is the last name of Dustin's character in the movie, says, we run this town. So it's like, that's the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the culture. Mm -hmm. Um. And Brian's family saw the film and were very pleased with the accuracy of it. His father, Mike, said in an interview, uh, quote, this movie is accurate to the point that you really get a good feel of the emotions, frustrations, and tensions that led up to what happened and the trial. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it was such an interesting case. And I really liked a lot of the articles that were written about it. Like Vice did a really good piece on it. Uh, You know, Daily Beast isn't always like my go-to but they had a pretty interesting piece about it that I got a lot of information from. And it just like really made a lot of people think about mm-hmm. how police and just how society accepts well, how privilege and mar- marginalization exactly. work. Yeah, yeah. How they work. And then I feel like it was so glaring in this situation because it is two sets of white kids mm-hmm. and it's like this, Privilege. But one definitely has more power exactly. so and I feel like, than the other. So I feel like as a society, you can't, because it's like, quote unquote, not about race, and no one can, quote unquote, play the race card in this case, I feel like it gives a pretty strong argument for, like you said, just how much privilege can protect you. Privilege, status, and money can mm-hmm. protect you. And I think these are things we always are a, we're aware of, but when you mm-hmm. really like pick apart a case like this, mm-hmm. And you're just like, it's so fucking powerful and it's not okay. And then when you apply mm-hmm. this exact thing to, you it's know, so glaringly crimes obvious. between folks who are non-white and folks who are white, it's like, fuck. It just puts a you, magnifying glass on the whole situation. Then when you look at, compare this to my case where the mm. perpetrators are also white, but they're, they don't have the same status in their community because socioeconomically right. they are poor. Yep. They're put away for life. They're put away for life. Well, for for life, but mm. you know what I mean. They they receive much more uh, serious charges than exactly, even these. though they were younger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so I the don't justice know. system is broken. We have to tear it all down and rebuild, and that is my case. Yeah. Well, all I know is that I'm mad at both of you. Yay! Yeah. Refilled my Fair wine enough. for special thanks. Need it? Can Definitely. we laugh now? Let's get right to it. So, special thanks to our very special fan picker, Courtney Pfeiffer. You can be Uh, in our clique, Courtney. Yeah, and (laughs) Pfeiffer hardly know for. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jeanette Conde. You go on with your Conde nasty self. (laughs) 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 Thank you to Sally Bloom, 
who wants to shout out their artist friend Hannah in the Twin Cities who makes amazing collages. And you can check out Hannah's art at hannahfrickart.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-F-R-I-C-K-A-R-T.com. Sally clearly gives a frick, and I'm Mm. here for it. (laughs) Thank you to Zoe Lux. Um, you are luxurious. You're the deluxe version. (laughs) You are. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Rachel Martin. The epitome of cool was Doc Martens when I was in fifth grade. I'm going to prepare for the fall. I had the knockoff Target version. Mm. Shirt, same. They were really painful. Really painful scene, and I'm investing. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you to Olivia Hall, like throwing a hot dog down a hallway. (laughs) Thanks for your donation, Olivia Hall. Thank you to Rachel Bomberger. I could really use a Bomberger right now. I am fucking starving. So hungry right now. Thank you, Rachel. Lucy, I guess we're we're going to swap for this round. All right. Because Crystal requests Amanda and wants to shout out their fiance, quote, to my ride or die, Anthony, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. Oh, oh my gosh. Your path is crystal clear to me, Crystal. Mm-hmm. Cheers to your pending nuptials. I love that for you. <laughs> I love that journey for you. <laughs> Thank you, Bianca Rays. You're just a rays of sunshine to us. Or Thank you Reyes. so much. Yeah, Rays. Probably Rays. Still a rays of sunshine to us. <laughs> rays of light. She's flying. Oh, oh God. I love Thank that you song. to Jessica Diamond, who is mm. clearly Neil Diamond's alter ego. Shine bright like a diamond. (laughs) I met his niece at a bonfire at my house one time. Do you guys remember that? No. Blortney brought some random girl from college, and she was Neil Diamond's niece. Wow. Oh, my God. We took a selfie together. Love it. Whose turn is it? Mine? You. Yep. Thank you, Caroline Wheeler. Just wheeling Mm. and dealing with your five bucks a month. Thank you so much. Wheeled and dealed and 60 kneeled. Um, <laughs> thank you to Emily Bernie. We're Bernie in a hole in your pocket with this monthly <laughs> donation. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for your support. Thank you to Danielle Gluckman. Mm. Uh, I've got a little in my throat. Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> Danielle doesn't give a gluck, man. She gives no glucks. Well, I don't think I can prevent Amanda from jumping in on this name, so I'm going to wholeheartedly invite her to thank Daddy Noah. Daddy! (laughs) I know I love Danny. Daddy Noah. Noah! (laughs) I love it. Uh, Noah means Noah. Thank you to Emma Fiant. I simply fiant with this name, Emma. <laughs> I'm sure I fucked up. Have that you up. met my fiant? Say. Hey. <laughs> Thank you to Stacy Harris. Um, 
Growing out our Harris during COVID. My hair is really greasy today. (laughs) My my leg Harris is way too long. (laughs) I haven't combed my Harris in days. (laughs) I'm also naming my bush Harris now. My Harris. Harris. God. Harris. I I really need to shave my Harris. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Molly Beb. Hey, Beb. Can you hey, Beb. make hey, me Beb. some bangers and mash, Beb? <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously. Daddy gonna make some sassages. Thank you for your increase in pledge, Molly Beb. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, thank you to Stephanie. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get down on one knee and propose that we stay friends for life, <laughs> Stephanie. That was good. Thanks yeah, for your good. donation. We got an increaser here. Jess Whitener. Mm. I just bought some whitener strips. You just bought some? <laughs> I just oh. bought some. <laughs> Me too. I need to do my some whitenering later today mm-hmm. of my teeth. Kicking off our $10 a month tier, we got Monday Harris. Mm. Uh, there's oh, a Monday Harris. That's, that's your name of your Oh, my God. Monday Harris. <laughs> the Harris of my Monday pubis. <laughs> oh, no. We're very my, sorry. My pubic Monday. <laughs> my mound. So sorry, Monday Harris. <laughs> yeah, that's horrifying. You walked right monsters. into that one, though. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. You should really have thought did. about that before your parents gave you a name that you had no control over. Um, thank you to Dominique White. I could really go for a unique Domino's pizza with mm. white cheeses. Ooh. Atop it. White Domino's pizza is pretty mm. good. Thank you to Jennifer Murphy for your generous donation. <laughs> <laughs> you are so truly generous. <laughs> Thank you, Emily Devani. Devani, mm. you're simply mm. Devan <laughs> for your ten dollars a month. Devan. Devan. <laughs> Thank you to Lindsay Shoals. Shoals uh, are the on best. Shoals of my shoes, <laughs> Doctor Shoals. <laughs> Thank you to Farron Bundy. No mm. relation. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of it? Ever. <laughs> that wasn't Farron to you. No, it in wasn't. fairness, but um, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you to Amy Bergren for your mm. increase from five to ten dollars a month. Uh, je t'aime, uh, Amy. I'm Bergen. <laughs> I'm Bergen. I'm Bergen for you. <laughs> what? I don't know. Okay. Thank you to Beth Sarto. I'm starting to lose it, Beth. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I'm confused by this next one. Well, let's just fuck it. Tag we'll do it live. It? Okay. <laughs> Thank you to Amanda Wade. You must be wading through a bunch of cash in order to contribute $15 a month to little old us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Amanda wants me, Amanda, to shout out Nessa, their gateway gal. Quote, I love you, boo. Thank you for making me listen to Wine and Crime. We know Which right. kind of sounds like 
you are being tortured, but we're glad that you're here. <laughs> we love a gateway gal with We consent. love a gateway gal. And you're going to get some dusty trash. Yeah. All right, since we tag teamed that one, Kenyon, why don't All you right. take this next one? All right, thank you, Mary Brisson. No, oh, um, Brisson. <laughs> it's Brisson. Brisson up. Uh, Mary <laughs> Brisson up. Mary, you give me lots of frisson. Mary Brisson. Okay, we got to keep it. Cut her off. $25 a month. Thank you, Holly Rutherford. Hopefully you're not related to Rutherford B. Hayes because he was a prick and he called novels trash. And that's the only thing I remember about my seventh grade government class. I had to do a report on Rutherford B. Hayes. <laughs> All right. And that is the hill that Lucy will die on. Thank you. He's a prick. Fuck Rutherford. To our next goddess. Oh. Riley Kiddus is really kissing our booties with this donation. (laughs) Are you kiddissing me? Are you kiddissing us right now? Uh, They were previously at $50 a month and have uh, increased to $70 a month, to which we have notated here WTF. And from the bottom of our farts, thank you, Riley, <laughs> so yeah, much. Wow. That's a lot of mozzarella sticks, baby. Oh, don't forget to send us your uh, fan pick of a case and mm-hmm. or topic and or wine and or all of the above, assuming we can actually get the wine. Blessed mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Ashley Ayers uh, with a once-off donation. I'm going to Ayers on the side of caution, and thank mm. you. Thank you, Ashley. Ayers my dirty laundry. <laughs> Thank you, Jacqueline Boyle, for your $25 once-off donation. I might need to get a hand mirror to inspect this boil. Okay. <laughs> On your backside. On your Mandy Harris. No, uh, your Mondy Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer Wyland. Why <laughs> are you so willing to support this nonsense? Uh, we appreciate you and your amazing once-off donation. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And thank you to Katie Dare Stansbury. I dare you to... to Stansbury. <laughs> yep. Who wants to shout out Kinsey Thomas and say happy belated birthday. So thank you, Katie and Kinsey. Happy Blurf Day. There Happy we go. Blurf Day. That was a right. really depressing episode, but hopefully next week's it. will be better. <laughs> next week, Next week's topic is is going to be real interesting. I'm That's excited. I'm say. Yeah. yeah. All right. Be a fun one. See you then. We love you all. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. This is the podcast where two best friends chat true crime and have a glass or two of wine. I'm Alicia. And I'm Caitlin. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. 
So join us every week for Casual Tuesdays, where we release a new episode. Cheers! Cheers! Cheers!